Another fine house radio production here in the Glass studio at the House of World Cultures during the Audio Poverty Conference. Our studio guest today is John Eden. Hello. So let's just get down to the dirty business. You're a non-paid, long-term freak that's been working with different forms of do-it-yourself cultural production. Yeah, I am. I've been um, involved with things like fanzines and DJing and uh, more recently doing my own website and blogging. Um, and yeah, uh, uh, a career, if you want to call it, an anti-career stretching back to kind of uh, late 80s um, up to now. Okay, and you've been very successful in your anti-career. I have almost pretty much succeeded in not turning into a real career, but I've also um, achieved my aims in terms of promoting things that I want to promote and manage to kind of sustain that and all the other things that you have to do to survive, like having a job. Um, So it's, yeah, it's a kind of integral part of, of, I think, who I am and what I try to do. Yeah, okay. That's because, let's say, during the audio poverty event the last days, a lot of the discussion has really been about how artists can earn an existence from their their cultural work, their artist yes. artistic work, and you sort of very boldly just put forth something like an advanced hobby or a second career. Yeah, yeah I think it depends on what you want, what you need to do um, and what you want to do. And I operate on um, the basis that I'd rather have something that I 100% can control and decide what happens. Um, and luckily, that is in things like small publishing and doing online uh, mixes or, or writing. Um, I think if I wanted to do that with something like opera or sculpture or um, even some forms of popular music that involve um, you know, studios and um, having to have instruments and pay people to do things like that, then that wouldn't be possible. It just happens that I'm able to um, exist in a way that... Um, I can sustain my my cultural output by um, things that don't involve uh, having to be paid for them. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I mean, you weren't proposing that this would be a solution for everybody, but one of the things you talked about was sort of being able to to have as much space as you need for what you do. Like like you can write an article to the length the article needs to be and you're not confined by... Yes, exactly. I mean, I've decided to go fairly to the extremes of um, uh, not really compromising on my output and everyone really, everybody involved with um, life and and especially people producing art, they have to make a decision about how many compromises they're prepared to make. Um, And so mine are really around um, how much time I can dedicate to these things because there are various other things I have to do to make a living and and, uh, sustain my family and my relationships with people. Um, Whereas if my work was art, then that wouldn't necessarily be so much of an issue. But then inevitably, my experience of these things is the way that you get the money to fund the art determines the kind of art that that there is. Um, And an example I used in the talk is that I think... um, it was an experiment I heard about involving some children in the 1970s where they gave two sets of children exactly the same toys to play with. Um, one set were just told to play and the other set were told that they were being paid to, to play to test these out for a toy corporation. And that, that second set of, of kids um, just played for a lot less uh, long. Um, and for me, my approach to these things that is that it is play because, you know, at the critical moment when I was deciding what to do with my uh, my work... I decided not to, to go down that path, but to go down kind of bureaucracy and, uh, you know, the things I do, uh, rather than to try and make a living out of the creative things I was up to, because I think it should really be about play. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, under the current economic system, you know, that, that isn't possible on its own. You have to do other things as well. 
Yeah, well, actually, under the current economic system, most people that uh, have bad jobs are out of jobs. And actually, probably they don't know what to do with all their spare time now. So have to have a fulfilling existence. I think that's right. I mean, certainly in the, in the UK, um, in, in the last recession, um, there were a lot of opportunities for people to do things around squats and, and art and produce things. Um, I mean, I'm a little bit wary of that because that is something that necessarily uh, involves people with a more middle class um, upbringing. And, and for a lot of people that, that don't have, uh, haven't had that access to, uh, you know, seeing, seeing themselves as, as people that can produce culture and do strange things like that, then, you know, it is just grinding poverty and actually trying to find a job becomes the job mm-hmm. in itself. And, you know, the, the rewards are much less. Uh, useful. Um, so, it, it, economic crises throw up all these different uh, opportunities, and it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting times. Well, yeah, there's I think an interesting discussion here because the last panel sort of came up with state funding as being part of the answer to solve the sort of existential problems of different types of artists, and it reminds me of something like let's say the <clears throat> the pirate music scene in yeah. London, and that you have also like our friends at Resonance are sort of encouraged by the state to do workshops. And there are all sorts of workshops that are springing up across the UK that are, you know, partly sort of political integration things for bad kids from bad neighborhoods. And which is is sort of interesting. So, but it's a... It is, I mean, it's an interesting phenomenon. And I think, you know, again, it's it's good that that people are trying to reach out to people that are perhaps uh, alienated or whatever, but it's still done in this kind of economic system that, 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 that oppresses people, and that's the reason they're alienated in the first place. Um, and I think, inevitably, if you're a troubled kid and then someone produces something for you, then it's like, well, they're doing that because I'm a troubled kid. Mm. Um, the great attraction for pirate radio is that it operates completely outside any kind of um, legal framework and and these 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 kids are attracted to do this um just because they ha- they feel compelled to kind of join in mm-hmm. um and they don't need someone you know standing there like a schoolmaster saying okay kids now we're going to learn how to chat right. really fast over records they do it because they're you know they're motivated <laughs> to do it um yeah. and so i mean again it's 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 always a compromise and i think state funding is is good for certain things, but I mean, nobody's going to give you state funding to try and produce art that suggests you might overthrow the state. Yeah. Um, and there are always tensions around the role of kind of critical art, um, and uh, it has to be, whether consciously or subconsciously, at the back of people's minds that um, you know you're doing this for somebody else, mm-hmm. um, and that changes what you do. Yeah. I mean, you you talked about also writing and not having any public in mind, really writing towards like four, six imaginary friends. Yeah. Or oh, no, no. You, well, they're real friends. Real friends. I'm happy to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's just well, it's just this idea that if if you're a paid journalist, then you have a very clear demographic in mind, and you get paid to do it, and you have uh, a structure that you're supposed to adhere to, and there there is value in that sort of discipline, and it's obviously very rewarding both for people doing it and uh, in terms of getting paid to do it. But I think if you are trying to enter into something that's a lot more autonomous than that, then you need to decide your own structure. And there are various ways that you can do that. But I think the wrong way for me was to look at the fact that a certain number of people, a surprisingly large number of people, um, read my blog and are from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think people are attracted to it because it's idiosyncratic and it's me just bashing out stuff that... Um, 
that, that they won't necessarily understand all of, but they can learn mm -hmm. through through doing research or they can ask questions or whatever. But if I have to reach out to somebody who's living in Egypt and, and try and explain the intricacies of, um, you know, the, the, the local council's messed upness near where I live mm -hmm. or what, what particular things in reggae mean, um, then that, that loses its, its sort of spontaneity. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I do try and, and aim my stuff at half a dozen people who I see on a regular basis and we just talk nonsense about music. Um, because I think that it's just easier for me to do that. It's, it's just several less things to think about and worry about. And if you're going to try and do something autonomous and relatively free, then you may as well try and do it of your own volition rather than aim it at a particular demographic. Because once you start doing that, then you may as well try and get someone to pay you to do it. Yeah, well, it's, <clears throat> I mean, because when you sort of started doing your, because, I mean, you, you talked about freaks and getting involved with weirdos and punks and anarchists. Yeah. You were doing, you you were producing your own zine. It was about a run of 50, huh? Well, we did, yeah, I mean, I did a, uh, it's like a personal zine, really, mm -hmm. where we, I just photocopied a, a large piece of paper at work um, without anyone noticing <laughs> um, and then sent that out to 50 people I knew, mm -hmm. um, so various contacts. And this was really, um, it was done like a diary where I'd review records or that I'd heard or events I'd been to or thoughts I was having um, and stick some collages on there and, and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and uh, send out flyers for other people. And um, really that basically was a blog done through the, the postal system because it was a list of things in date order that I was thinking about and there were links through flyers to other people and it was, you know, that went went through this um, network um, mm -hmm. with other people who were involved with producing uh, music or, 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 or fanzines or whatever. Um, and it was it was kind of like waiting for the internet to happen. And a lot of things like that that network of fanzines and mail art, especially, mm -hmm. were um, that kind of very human way of people interacting nationally on a kind of cultural and autonomous level. Um, and I mean, it, it did generate a few people that went on to, you know, be stars in those particular scenes. But um, in the main, it was just people doing it as a, a, a hobby and, mm -hmm. and being really interested in the interactions that threw up and little developments that went along the way, you know. Because, I mean, the funny thing is, that, yeah, you started, then you went from this print version to this online version quite, I mean, 97, I think? Yeah, it's, yes, I think that's, that's when the website went up, which again, at the time it was the big the big thing that was going to revolutionise everything and everything was going to be, you know, you wouldn't have to uh, go around shops trying to get them to stock your fanzines mm -hmm. and you wouldn't have to send things through the post and it was cheap and free and, you know, millions of people could read it across the world. Um, uh, inevitably that turned out not to be really how it happened for most people. Um, and in fact a lot of the people that started off doing good blogs rather than, you know, terrible ones were people that had been doing fanzines already and had that kind of discipline mm -hmm. and personality. Um, and, you know, sure enough, that kind of um, utopian ideal um, of the net is, hasn't, you know, it has made a lot of things easier mm -hmm. in the same way that, you know, having a car, the combustion engine made things easier. But there are, there are drawbacks to, to the way, it, to the, way that the, the system imposes, the way that the net imposes a particular mentality on people and they, 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 the, the software or, or the fact that it's on a screen um, is good for some things, not good for other mm -hmm. things. Um, and I did go through a phase of, of, of producing things to go on my website because they weren't available and it was an easy way to circulate ideas mm -hmm. um, in this, this, I mean, there's this idea of the, the kind of information war of, of um, you know, circulating texts that, that are valuable so that they're out there and people can disagree with them, agree with them, use them, change them, whatever. Um, but now I think there's a move back towards the, the physical in some ways as well because people 
see the limitations of it. Yeah, actually, now we have a, <clears throat> one of, a question from Pitt Schultz, is one of our silent studio guests, and he wants you to address the negative aspects of the MP3, which I think... Uh, yeah, well, it's just... Uh, the, the, the example I used recently was that a lot of kids today think that music is... Um, like water and you turn on a tap and there it all is and there's as much as you want um, and it means that everything is available but it's all it's like it's like water it's of the consistency of water there's no kind of hours seven days a week yeah. all the time live 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 music 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 exactly without end yeah um, but it, it, it coming from a generation where you would save up your pocket money and buy an album and then you listen to it a hundred times and get really into it and stare at the sleeve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the grooves of the record have a certain association from where you spilled coffee on it or you mm-hmm. know, just the way that it looked and smelt. Um, you had a deeper relationship with the music. Um, and the, the, generally the quality of MP3s, uh, the sound quality and, and the, 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 the associations people have with them mean that it is a, a reduced um, experience. Though, as we've seen, it does open up possibilities to, if I want to find out what music from a particular part of Africa or even a particular point in history sounds mm-hmm. like, then I can do that. But that's a little bit overwhelming um, because you've got virtually the whole recorded history of human experience available to you. And it's like, well, where do you, where do you start with mm-hmm. that? Um, uh, so the, it's good for some things and not good for other things and I, I try and avoid downloading very much I try and avoid posting too many mp3s on my blog and if I do that there's usually a great big wad of text surrounding it to explain why why I'm doing it yeah um, and um, it, you can't uninvent the mp3 but I suspect if you could then I probably would <laughs> I would press that button um, <clears throat> well I mean it gives a very reduced quality and it's it's I mean there's, I think it's also this shift from the album culture to the track culture yeah people don't get attached to hearing like and it has something to do with this sort of computer-based attention span where people it, don't have more than two and a half minutes it may be I mean it does it, the potential is there to have you know because obviously mp3 can go on longer than a, a cd can mm-hmm. um, so you could have compositions that were three hours long and stuff and, I, and maybe there are people doing that maybe there aren't I don't know um I mean, track culture kind of comes out of dance music anyway, which is something I I, I, I quite like. Um, I think there's a very there's this sort of dialectic between the rockists and the popists, and mm. and you know, rock is kind of you have these weighty statements that are an album, and the album might be some concept album, which is you know so long and is about something important. Um, whereas in pop or, or kind of dance music, you just have a good track that's kind of you know functional and is is, is good, and you can have both. But um, I don't I don't think necessarily just having a track means someone's got a short attention span because they may mix it with other tracks into something that's an hour long or is a good set um but it's an interesting point i mean i think there are issues around certainly attention spans and and text on the web Mm -hmm. and people you know blogging is often quite reduced as a few links and you just skip around and stuff and then somebody will produce something a bit a bit weightier um, and it's quite hard to read a lot of things on a screen, I think, for a lot of people still. Um, perhaps that's a generational thing, I don't know. Um, so you can print it out and read it on the bus, whatever. But um, there is, I think, a lot of people just doing little bits of stuff rather mm-hmm. than larger, um, yeah, more, more depth. Um, well, because you're back to print. Like, you're, you're again printing. Like yes, that's right. Paper, right. I think, again, I mean, that came out of a, a, a sort of reaction um, to the net and, and its limitations and um, it was weird because you had a bunch of people like me who were 
remembered fanzines and were really excited about them and missed that whole tactile experience and, and you know, messing with the format in the way that you can't really do with blogs because all the templates are set up and stuff like that. Um, and then there was a, a younger generation of people, especially sort of people into dubstep and, and things, who, who maybe in their 20s, and they'd never really had that experience because they grew up with the net. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was some sort of magical thing. It's like, you know, somebody asked me, well, do you need a permit to print this <laughs> fanzine? Um, I'm like, you just do it. That's kind of the point. Um, and, and, and so it's, it's, it's good to kind of... And, and a lot of people are kind of... There is this increased sort of fetishization of... of um, physical objects for media as well, like uh, cassettes and, and vinyl and things, um, which is good because I think um, that, that honeymoon with the internet is over and people now see it as a tool rather mm-hmm. than the future. Right. Um, and we can come back to, to doing, yeah, we're doing a, a, a magazine about reggae and grime and dubstep called Woofer and it's um, people seem to like it. Yeah, and how many people like it? Well, <clears throat> we print a thousand and they generally go. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many people read each issue, but yeah, uh, enough to keep it going. Yeah. Like it. We're not, I mean, again, it's, it's some, not something we expect to. Um, we don't. We've the last two issues we printed a thousand, and we have no intention to print any more than that mm-hmm. because we want really just it to be people who are very serious about their their music and are engaged with it to the extent that they will buy it and support it. Um, and we have a group of people that are doing that now. Um, and that seems to tick over okay, really. Mm-hmm. And if they start selling out within a week, then we'll probably still just out of bloody-mindedness print a thousand because um, it's just nice to have something that just exists mm-hmm. and you can move on and, and do the next one. Um, it it, it kind of sounds elitist, but I think there are... I'd much rather everyone that bought it was really into it than people just picked it up and didn't really know what it was. Uh, I want people to be as fanatical about things that I used to be, um, yeah. you know, because that's another disadvantage to the net is everything's available, yeah. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. which is okay if you want something, but um, sometimes it's good to not be able to get everything you want and have this quest to kind of seek things out and, uh, you know, I've got to get this now because it's going to be gone. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I think we should do a little time check now because you actually have to DJ downstairs in a few minutes. I do. Yeah. Are we okay on time? So I think what we're going to do is uh, slowly say goodbye. So thank you, John, for popping up into our glass studio. Not smoking here. That's not a problem for me, but thank you for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> so and then you want to mention the name of your blog again or where yeah, people can um, get in contact Yeah, people can, can contact me through um, my website, which is uncarved.org. And if they add a slash blog at the end of that, then they'll get the blog. And the magazine is Woofer, which is at uh, woofermag.com. And Woofer is W. F-A-H, just to confuse you. Like Mufa. Mufa. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so thanks a lot for okay. coming. Do you have any or do we have any more questions from our studio audience? No? Okay. Alright, thank you. Thank you.